All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Brand new week, but Kevin, we're still in First Peter, Lesson 21. We're in a, we're in a section called, uh, Kevin, what do we call it? The General Letters. The General Letters. Drew Gibbs is also in the house, along with Rich Goodwin. Drew, what's another word for letters? Um, communication. <laughs> Email, fax, or epistles. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the general communications is the section that we're in today. Uh, you know, some of that, uh, Drew just joined us, so we're going to get Drew caught up here. You know, we're, we've already gone through the book of Hebrews. We've already got through the book of James. And now here we are in the third book of the general epistles, First Peter. It's kind of crazy. This is going to be a whirlwind week. We're going to finish up First Peter, jump into Second Peter, finish that up, and then, Kevin, jump into the beginning of the triptych. Yes, the three books called First John, Second John, and Third John. Mindy will actually have three paintings that go with uh, those books. It's going to be a fun week. They're shorter books, but just because they're shorter, it doesn't mean you can just fly through them. <laughs> Hence, as we look at First Peter 3 today, you know, First Peter 3, I hope we make it past the first verse. You know, it doesn't seem like, Kevin, we made it too far in each one of these chapters. Why? Because in the Old Testament, when you look at a chapter, it's more of a story form. I mean, when, aside from looking at the book of Proverbs, you know, or the Psalms, but, you know, it's more of a story form. So you can kind of do a generalization, do some uh, teaching in that, application in that. But like in, in the New Testament, it's like every verse is like, wow, that's a sermon. <laughs> wow, that's a bumper sticker verse. You know, it's like all of these are. And so First Peter 3, 1 is absolutely no exception. Um, just to get Drew caught up on here, and if you're just tuning in as well for the first time with Revive School, first of all, welcome. Uh, you know, Kevin, let's go to the obvious. Who wrote First Peter? Peter. Peter did. And do you remember, uh, Kevin, if you can throw up a map, who, who's he writing to? He's writing to, it says in First Peter 1, specifically verse 1, he says, all right, here's the deal. I am writing specifically to the temporary residents, okay, it, that are dispersed. So when you hear that word dispersed, Kevin, it could mean what? Scattered. They're scattered. And why are they scattered? Uh, persecution. Persecution. So this is who he's writing to. This is kind of the image that you have. Asia Minor would be another phrase of, of, of way of looking at this. So as he's writing this, okay, most of First Peter real, realistically is about suffering. I mean, it's right. Hey, guys, I need you to work through this process of suffering. And so our theme that we have in First Peter 1, just to make sure everybody's on the same phrase, same page and same phrase, is living hope. Now this living hope, you guys, scripture says, comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So amidst the suffering, all of the trials and all the tribulations because of who you are in Christ, maybe because you've been dispersed, maybe because you've been scattered, I need you to not give in. Remember we talked about this, you guys, not giving in to those around you so that you don't have to suffer, but rather go through the suffering and hang on to the living, living hope. You know, I have to tell you, it's a crazy story. I was at a restaurant yesterday, and while I was waiting for a friend for for uh, for lunch, started to get to know uh, the waiter. His name was Gerardo, and I, you know, it's just this classic. Hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I noticed some of the things, and he had a, he had a feather in his pocket. And not often that you see a, a waiter have a feather in his pocket. I go, hey, what's up with the feather? He goes, oh man, I totally forgot I had this feather. I totally forgot I had this. And I was like, man, it really reminds me of Psalm 91 where it talks about how, you know, we are uh, under his, uh, his wings of protection. We're under, he's going to take care of us in this process. So I talked about the meaning of feathers, you know, meaning protection and provision. And he thought that was really fun. And I just, I looked at him and I just said, man, how can I be praying for you? He had Psalm 23 on his arm tattooed and he said he knew the Lord. 
And he just said, you know, we're going through some tough stuff. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of separating from my wife because it's just, it's not good. And, but here's why I want to tell the story. He said, I said, well, what, what, why, why, why are you guys separating? He said, well, you know, he gave a couple of reasons. He said, but bottom line, I'm going through some tough stuff. And so in my mind, I just thought, uh, I'm sorry. You know, your mind, when you hear separation, you just think tough stuff. Maybe there's some stuff in the past, addictions, things. I, I didn't know anything. He said, man, I, I, uh, I've been going through, uh, I think he phrased it kidney dialysis. And he said, you have two kidneys. And he said, one of my kidneys is 15% functioning in less. And he said, my other one is worse than the 15%. And so he said, it, honestly, he said, unless I find a match, it doesn't really look good. Wasn't really expecting that with my chips and my water at the table, to be honest. And I said, well, I'd love to pray for you. And you know what he said? And I said, he said, uh, Thanks. He said, but I really love the fact that I can hold on to him in this whole time. So amidst his kidney failure, uh, amidst his wife leaving him, it, because of all of the physical conditions, literally, he says, I'm still holding on to him. I'm holding on to the hope of Christ. And right away I went to 1 Peter. And I get it. In 1 Peter, he's talking about suffering uh, because of standing up for Christ. But, you know, this guy is suffering physically. And what is he holding on to? He's holding on to Christ. And like I prayed for him and it was just like this, just this constant encouragement, like to keep going. And that's really what Peter's doing, you guys. He's like, guys, amidst all this, hang on, hang on to keep going. And that's kind of your backdrop for first Peter. It might take a, a little while to get to that point of what we just went through. But man, it really spoke to me. This guy who's going through all kinds of stuff, he's holding on to Christ. So as you jump into 1 Peter 3, verse 1, uh, it kind of just, again, Kevin, you know how sometimes it, sometimes it just, it's building uh, in, in so many ways, because you see when it says this, in verse 1, it says, in the same way. And so what's happening is, is that he's building off of chapter 2. Now, previously, and Kevin, this is what's kind of funny, we didn't even get to the end of chapter 2, if you remember that yesterday. So in the same way, he's talking about, okay, the way that citizens relate to the government the way that employees relate to employers, okay? Those that are under their masters, okay? So in the same way that these people are submitting to the government, submitting to their employers, he says, I want you to do the same way in your marriage. This is what he's talking about. So he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves, 1 Peter 3, 1, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, now, right away, when you hear this, Drew, I always love your perspective. Whenever you, whenever people now throw out the terminology submit and you have men and women, typically what's our culture say? Um, everyone has freedom, choice. You're not supposed to be under anyone. Yeah, like. You're your own individual. Yeah, where's our equal rights now kind of stuff, you know? Like, here's a, here's a great one. There's a city out in Colorado. I just heard this yesterday. True story. They just passed a, a law that now says both men and women can go around topless. Legally, in their city. You know why? Because of rights, equal rights. I try, to, I try to explain that to my kids. Wait, what? Look, this whole verse right here is just stirs the pot in the culture. But when you hear this phrase, submit, you got to understand something. And here's a definition by Constable, Tom Constable. The maintenance, it's, it's the maintenance of God's willed order. Like it's God putting things in order. It doesn't devalue women. It doesn't devalue men. He just says, no, look, I have put some things in order. What? So that it reflects the role of the body of Christ. 
That's really what this thing comes down to. And so he says, all right, wives, I need you to submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. This is a cool picture, okay? So clearly in this context, okay, I want to make sure everybody understands. We're talking about wives, okay, that are married to non-believing men. Kind of an interesting way to look at it. But that's really, so if some of them don't disobey the Christian message, if some don't believe the Christian message, by the way you act, by the way you serve, by the way you submit yourself, Scripture says, then your husband will be won over without preaching to him. That's an awesome message, that your husband is going to be won over to Christ because of the way you live for him, not because you're preaching at him. Because every day, Kevin, if a husband and wife are in a house, and every day she's like, Johnny, you need to know Jesus, there's a good chance he's probably going to be annoyed by that. And so the way this, this whole thing of submit, kind of want to begin, like, what does this look like? Nelson's commentary came up with four, four words. Again, just, it, it's a process, okay? It is truly a process. And it's begins, submission begins with an attitude of entrusting one self to God. This, this, this concept, this truth, actually even begins in chapter 2 when we talked about entrusting yourself over to the government, as, as far as submitting yourself, excuse me, to the government, as far as submitting yourself to the, to the master, to your employer. Now, as it continues to build, and, and this is, goes into chapter 3 with where we're at today, submission okay, requires respectful behavior. Now, in all of this, as it continues to grow, as we're talking about what, what submission could look like in your life, in the marriage, is number three, submission, submission involves, and this is really important, the development of godly character. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to this if we can. Uh, this word submissive, you guys, it really is putting yourself from a women's perspective, from a wife's perspective, under the guidance and control of their husbands. There's no other way around it. They're living in such a way, Nelson's commentary says, that husbands will be challenged. And I love this. You're submitting yourself in such a way that you're challenging your husbands to live in obedience to the word of God. I mean, just take away the wives and the husband's perspective. Like, Do we live like that in any environment? Now, you know, we've, we've had these conversations about friendship evangelism. You know that, right? You know, and, you know, we are definitely about praying with people. If God opens up a door, we'll clearly go through these wristbands, go through these little blue Bibles or in other languages, the Spanish, whatever language. And so like here we are articulating the gospel. This, this might be one of the only places that clearly articulates when not to talk about the gospel, but your life should reflect it. I don't want you, okay, to be preaching at them, Scripture says. I want you to win them over. That's what it says, that they may be won over without a message by the way they live. First Peter 3, 2 says, and then when they observe, so they're going to be won over when they observe your pure and reverent lives. So, this is not a knock against wives or women or females saying you're less than or you're second fiddle. It's, it's none of that. 
It says by your actions, you can actually, by your submission, by you walking in purity and reverent lives, Scripture says you can win people to Christ. Specifically, your husbands. I can't think of a better and a bigger uh, uh, honor than this. So let's not even play this game. Well, I'm not about this whole submission. Man, it's an incredible honor to walk this thing out. In fact, Wearsby says this. He says, first of all, there's an obligation. It's pretty clear what he says. I want you to do this. But then he just says, you have to view it as an opportunity. Wives, view this as an opportunity. And then here's where it gets kind of fun. In verses 3 through 5, I'm going to put the word and then begin to describe it. Your lives can serve as an ornament. Now look at this. Verse 3, it says, your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Now look, just right there in, in itself, Kevin, what? <laughs> As if my daughter just hung out with, you know, eight or nine other girls for homecoming, right? This last weekend. And Kevin, I saw pictures from my wife because I, I was uh, in another state at that time of like two bathrooms in our house, completely full of, of high school girls getting ready. And you know what they were working on? That. Elaborate hairstyles, gold ornaments, fine clothes, high heels, uh, you know, whatever. Like, you know, and, and so what I want to I want you to say something like there's nothing wrong with these things. Like there's nothing wrong with these things. But you have to have this this understanding uh, like and just it's OK to wear jewelry. It's OK to do your hair. But what what Peter is saying is in verse four that your focus, though, should not be on the external. It, you need to focus in development And that's what we're talking about, this development of godly character on the inside. And he's specifically talking to wives. He says it should should consist of what is inside the heart. Why? Because it's with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. You know, this, this, uh, this quality of imperishable, it implies like it won't decay. It implies like it won't fade away. And, and Nelson's commentary makes it the, the, the parallel, uh, the parallel like, well, like makeup and jewelry do. Those external things you might lose a back to an earring. I have three daughters. <laughs> ah, where's my earring? <laughs> I just found it, stepped on it. So, you know, like those kind of things, those are going to come and go. But the reality is focus on the inside, the gentle and the quiet spirit. It doesn't mean you're, uh, what are the people, uh, ec- uh, Drew, what are the people that like to hang out with people and the people that don't? Extroverts? Yes. In, yeah. Introvert. It doesn't mean if you're like, it doesn't mean like, this is not what we're talking about. Ex- extroverts, uh, introverts. Like, I'm talking about working on your heart. You working on and developing your relationship with the Lord, godly character. This is really what submission looks like. It's a pretty special picture. You know, uh, Nelson's writes here, <laughs> Christian wives, they don't need to demand personal rights. Uh, they don't need to demand um, like, like everything of what I need on the outside. If you work on the internal, God just opens up doors. He just allows you to connect with those that are around you. And Lord willing, it's with your husband. Scripture then continues on just to wrap up in verse five for in the past, the holy women. Now, Kevin, you remember what our phrase was for for first Peter. It's what living hope. hope. Now, look at this. First Peter three, five says for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God. 
also beautified themselves in this way. So the way that they put their hope in the Lord was what? And, and look what scripture even says. It says they beautified themselves. And this is how they did it by submitting to their own husbands. So the way that they worked on the external was they submitted themselves to the husbands. No, I don't No, No, that's just we're in the 21st century. That surely that doesn't apply today, Kevin. But isn't that where I think sometimes what's gone wrong in our society? We become more concerned about all of this and that you're going to take this wrong. And I hope that you don't these equal rights with men and women. I'm not saying that we don't deserve equal rights. I'm just talking about doing things in order of how God designed it, and how he structured this. He clearly designed man. OK, to reflect Christ in their marriage as as what? As Christ is our head, then we are to do the same for our wives and for our kids. But when we try to put the wife all the way up to the husband, I mean it like that. And then all of a sudden they're both in that same role. Then guess what happens? You lose this submission that first Peter is talking about. You lose this like possible um, developing of inner quality of submission and finding a quiet spirit, finding a gentle spirit. And look, it's attention today. And so what he does in verse six, he gives us an example. And I love this example. He says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Oh, I'm, I'm totally done with this message. Some woman's like, oh, see, look, now you're saying wives have to call their husbands Lord. <laughs> but back then, you guys, it was just it was literally showing respect. It was a title. It was a label that showed him respect. She wasn't worshiping him. She didn't idolize him. She truly just recognized um, who Abraham was in, in the relationship. In fact, the, the term Lord, uh, Nelson says, it, just so you know, the term was used by members of a clan to show esteem to the head of the clan. It's really all it was. It was an honoring term and it was following up to God by following the husband's leadership. It's crazy. She says and says in verse six, you have become her children. Who's he talking to, Kevin? He's again, he's talking to these people that are dispersed. Some of them may be Jews, but they're talking in faith. You've become Sarah's children. I kind of took some notes here. That kind of, I did take, <laughs> uh, you know, a couple examples, uh, that she did. She showed leadership by arranging the servant Hagar to bear Abraham a son. Might not have been the best scenario, but what did she do, Kevin? She served him. Might not have been a best scenario, but remember she sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Like God's, uh, told Abraham to listen to Sarah. Right. I mean, that's pretty clear, even though Abraham was displeased, like there truly was uh, a respect and a submission in this relationship. And he says, by you becoming her children, you're doing what is good and are not frightened by anything alarming. Some of that says to me, you're not afraid to submit because of, you know, how God has all this put together. Now, here's what I love about this whole text. Yes, we just went through six verses about wives submitting to their husbands. By the way that you live your life, you can draw your husband to Christ. I'll just tell you this. If the husband is a believer, okay, let's just say he's not a believer, but he is a believer. There's something about when your wife is reading the book, uh, reading the Bible, something about when your wife is on her knees. There's something about when she treats your kids so godly. What does it do for you? It should hopefully encourage and spur you on to keep doing the same thing. 
Like it should draw you to Christ by her submitting to the Lord and her submitting to you. You should be drawn to, to the Lord as well. And, and this is what I love in verse seven. So, all right, let's start talking about husbands. Husbands, it says in verse seven. And I just have to just I want to say something about this verse. We talked about this verse in one of our team devos for Time to Revive. This verse here for me particularly has always, always, always been my check on whether or not my prayers are answered. Hebrew, uh, excuse me, First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, so in the same way, right, submission is supposed to take place, says you are to live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature. Okay, so it just says women have a weaker nature. Kevin, is this culturally irrelevant today? No. Yeah, Kevin, here's the deal. I, I just think just from a, without getting into full detail, I just think understanding physically, just physically, they have a weaker nature. Okay, now obviously there are some people out there that are, they work out way more than any of us combined and they could destroy us. Okay, I get all that. But overall, that's what he's talking about. They have a weaker nature physically, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. In other words, because of who they are in Christ, guess what? We are both co-heirs in the kingdom of God. That's what I love about this. It's like he's not demeaning them. He says, no, no, we're actually here together as we walk with the Lord. But you got to understand physically that you need to be with them to understand them, treat them well, take care of them, do anything that you can to pour into them so that you can help them in every aspect. And that doesn't involve like uh, being a jerk and hoarding over them and taking control. It's actually the complete opposite. You actually should serve and love them because of who they are. And I, I love this. Man, there's, you need to show honor. You need to show honor to your spouse. And let me just tell you this. If you don't, Scripture says your prayers, uh, well, if you don't treat your wives well, your prayers will be hindered. If you treat your wife with as a co-heir of the grace of life, Scripture says uh, your prayers won't be hindered. To me, like maybe the reason that you aren't seeing God show up in your prayer life is maybe you need to work on your marriage. I don't know. Maybe we haven't seen a revival in all of the United States because of how we treat our, our wives. It could be a possibility. And I think that's what's so fun about this text. We can actually love on our wives so well that God says, oh, look, I can now listen to him. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. I don't know. Drew, what do you think about this text? When it says the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your family, uh, Scripture says your prayers won't be hindered. Do you think there's validity to that? If you are honoring or whatever, I can see that I can trust you with more. Hear your prayers. It's almost like First Peter is alluding to this picture of elders, just for a second. Because the scripture says, like, if you can manage your house, then you clearly can serve as a role of an elder over the church. Because he says, if you can manage this, then you can manage more. So in this context, if you can take care of your spouse, oh yeah, maybe I will honor exactly what you're saying. So I think you're spot on, Drew. And, and I wrote here uh, just a little quote from Nelson's. You need to know as much as you can about, about your spouse in order to respond to her in the best way. You know, sometimes I think if we did a survey, survey says, uh, Rich, what's Shelly's favorite color? Rich? Black. <laughs> what are you guessing? Yeah, totally. That sounded like a question mark. <laughs> I mean, that's my point. It's like, we're, 
we're all like that. We're like, I know we're supposed to know these things as men. I just think, man, we just, ah, that's just so superficial with the color stuff. But the point is, is can we go out of our way more and more for our spouses? Maybe that's the only thing that's getting in the way of a move of God. I love this picture. And, you know, uh, uh, Warren Wearsby, he just began to articulate, uh, are we partners in our marriage? Or are we competitors? Yes. Another question. Are we helping each other become more spiritual? Whereas we also ask, are we depending on the externals or the eternals? In other words, the artificial or the real? Like, where do we put our stock in our marriage? Do we understand each other better? Like, is this year, do you know more about your spouse than you did last year? Because the scripture says in both instances to the wives and to the husbands, guys, we have got to do this like Christ would do this with us. Warren Wearsby continues on. He says, are we sensitive to each other's feelings or do we take each other for granted? Two more that Wearsby asked just in relationship to this. Are we seeing, if you want to be honest, are we really seeing God answer our prayers? Maybe, maybe something the way that we could evaluate whether he is or he isn't is just, man, you know, I really haven't spent much time with my wife. I really haven't valued her. I really haven't shown honor to her. And then I love this is uh, the last question that Warren Wearsby asks. Are we enriched because of our marriage or are we robbing each other of God's blessing? You know, this word submission, uh, you know, let me just say this. It's kind of an interesting picture here. This word submission, not just for the wives, but for the husbands and the wives. It begins with an attitude of entrusting ourselves over to God. Like, do we really, when we wake up, it's not about our wives, it's not about our husbands. It's really about who am I in Christ? When you have your identity in Christ, then it can go to point two. We will then begin to have respectful behavior to our spouse. Like, it just naturally happens. Yeah, but you don't know, this guy's a jerk. Man, you don't know, this, this lady, she doesn't do anything for us. Or do you show them respect regardless? And then in this process of submission, you guys, it includes the development of godly character, working on the internal heart. Yes, in relation for the women to the men, but I, I do believe that these principles apply to us as well. And then finally, I want to wrap this up with Nelson's commentary of this, this uh, submission. Submission then also involves, and I think you guys, this is really key, doing, and it's so simple, what is right and it goes back to verse six, just as Sarah obeyed Abram, Abraham, calling him Lord. She clearly walked this journey out. She clearly walked this journey of faith out. And then who knows specifically the things that she did. But here's what I want to say. Submission isn't just talking about it. Submission is actually doing it. That's what I love about this. It requires respectful behavior. It requires us working on this, our godly character. And then it really does require submission actually requires us doing it. Don't just talk about it. We have to do this. And it all really goes back to our word. It all goes back to our, our phrase. How do you do this? How do you submit to a husband? How do you submit to a wife? How do you submit to others, the government or your employers? You can when you have a living hope. That's the beauty of this whole picture. And, you know, this little picture of obligation, opportunity and ornament of Wearsby. It, our lives can be an ornament for Christ. We can really reflect Christ. And I, I have no problem telling you this, and it might not be the most fun word. You might have to suffer in the process. 
might not like hanging out with your wife right now. You might not like hanging out with your husband right now, but if the Lord's calling you to have these things in motion, guess what? He gets the glory. People see Christ in you. All right, guys, this is 1 Peter chapter 3. We clearly, 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 um, we didn't get to everything else. Please don't miss this. There's a lot here, and um, it's kind of like that in every chapter. All right, bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.